We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome back to another episode of Candlestick Chronicles. My name's Chris Biederman. I cover the 49ers for the Sacramento Bee. Our host, Kyle Madsen, is on assignment. He's doing a little bit of uh, Warriors Nuggets playoffs early this week. So uh, we're still pumping out content regardless, and we have a very special episode today. We got Matt Mayoko of NBC Sports Bay Area. You might have heard of him. Uh, If you're a 49ers fan, you probably know Matt as an institution. Um, He covers the 49ers as well as anybody and is overall just one of my favorite people uh, on earth. So Let's get to it. A conversation about the 49ers with the great Matt Mayoko. Hey, this is George Kittle, and you're listening to Candlestick Chronicles. He's made his much-awaited return. It's Matt May- Matt Mayoko of NBC Sports Bay Area. Uh, Matt, welcome back to uh, to Candlestick Chronicles. How are you? Gosh, I was wondering when you were going to invite me back on. Um, I had to send you like messages, and I think I actually sent you a letter. I had to go to the post office and get a stamp just mm-hmm. to send you a note pleading for an invite. And finally it has arrived. Thank you, Chris. It's funny you say that because in actuality, there, there were a few invites that had gone from, from my end unreturned from, from Matt Mayoko. I don't know. Unreturned is the right word. Um, Ghosted. Did I get ghosted? No. Is that that the proper terminology? I think maybe I denied you. (laughs) I don't think I don't think responding. I don't think I ever like didn't even respond. We could we could go back and look. And but there was... that's that's neither here nor there, Matt. Okay, um, so we... I'm glad you don't hold a grudge. <laughs> we are here uh, about a week and a half out from the NFL draft, and before we get to that, um, I want to talk to you about the 49ers offseason because there are a lot of different viewpoints, um, a lot of different ways to look at it, and you could say, well, the 49ers might have lost more talent than they've acquired, at least through free agency. Um, you could say, well, it's been um, <clears throat> it hasn't been an ideal scenario with Jimmy Garoppolo still being on the team and them not getting draft picks that they might want to use next week for him. 
Um, there's the Debo Samuel situation, but I think you, and you were at the owners meetings and, and I listened to, to the interviews from, um, from uh, Kyle Shanahan, easy for, for me to say, <laughs> and um, John Lynch and Jed York and, and everybody seemed very positive. And I get that that's the messaging that people in those positions are going to give off. But do you sense that they really are feeling that optimistic about how the off season has gone, even though maybe from the outside looking in, it hasn't been um, sort of an ideal stretch uh, of moves maybe for them the last few months? Well, I think the, their inability to trade Jimmy Garoppolo is the, the one thing that I think they would look back on and say, well, that didn't go like we had planned. I, I'm, I'm a firm believer that late in the season, and certainly you know, before the thumb injury, that they thought they were going to get a pretty decent return for him. And whether they would have or not, who, who knows at this point, it's all conjecture. Um, but I do think that he would have been moved before the start of the, the new league year had he been healthy. And we all thought it was going to be the thumb, or at least I'm not going to speak for you, but I thought the thumb injury would be the one that would probably re- require the most attention. And because, uh, you know, there were national reports that was just like it was a fait accompli. He was going to get thumb surgery. And Jimmy continued to say that he hoped he didn't, but we never really talked about the shoulder injury. And that's the one that, that came around, or I should say, didn't come around. And then a week before the start of the new league year, uh, his agent, you know, broadcast that he was going to have the surgery and the 49ers were kind of left out of the loop on that. And so that caught them off guard. But no, I think that that would be the one thing. I think everything else fell into place for them. Or I, I don't think they ever thought they were going to be able to re-sign Lakin Tomlinson or DJ Jones. I, I know that they wanted to go out and get a, a cornerback, a high-quality cornerback. Didn't know which one, but the one they got is everything I – can gather is a guy that you know they really wanted and they they made an aggressive move to get him so yeah i would say the the only thing that didn't line up the way they wanted was not being able to get anything for jimmy garoppolo and having him still on the team i don't think that you know if they had gotten rid of his salary um I don't think that would have changed their approach on anything. I don't think all of a sudden, because you have the money, you're willing to spend or overspend for guys that um, maybe kind of throw the whole salary structure of your team out of whack a little bit. So I would say other than the the Garoppolo thing, everything lined up the way they kind of figured it would. So, and that leads to another interesting topic, which uh, from the outset right now, I mean, I think Debo Samuel, ultimately, I'm, I'm of the mind that him and the 49ers are going to come to a contract extension agreement at some point before training camp, similar to what happened with Fred Warner and George Kittle. Um, but with Debo deciding to scrub his Instagram account of all of, all of his 49ers stuff, does I mean, it, it does raise a, a little bit of a red flag in that if you look back and remember... This was a team that said, hey, we obviously want DeForest Buckner here for a long time. He's a model player for who we want. But ultimately, 
the 49ers weren't willing to pay his price. And some of that had to do with Eric Armstead um, also needing a new contract, Jimmy Ward being up for a new contract. So it's not an apples to apples comparison, but I think the fan base, and, and I don't think they're entirely wrong on this, can say, man, are, are they are, are the 49ers in position to potentially trade Debo Samuel if his contract demands are too high? I kind of think him scrubbing social media is just sort of what happens today with players, right? When they want to take control of the narrative and, and if they believe that they can put some public pressure in the organization just by deleting a few things off Instagram, then, then maybe they can do that. Ultimately, my view is that that's not going to change John Lynch's mind or Paragmarate's mind on, you know, what their price for Debo Samuel ultimately is. But do you think this is... This might you know, be the longest question in the history of podcasting. Oh, well, that's because Eric Branch doesn't have a podcast. No, no, that's no, very true. Very <laughs> true. And you haven't even gotten to the question yet. Well, so I, 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 pre- I, I went with that long preface to ask you, do you think that they are that things are maybe a little bit more contentious than anticipated or is this kind of par for the course for a really significant contract negotiation that is complicated by a whole lot of factors Mm -hmm. that's the question yes yeah no i i mean when you 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 (laughs) referenced george kittle and you referenced fred warner and as i recall two years ago George Kittle didn't say anything about his contract situation and Jack Becta, his agent would, you know, he was out there talking a little bit about how there weren't a whole lot of, you know, there whole, wasn't a whole lot of movement. Um, I think he expressed some frustration. I remember he called a contract proposal on February 14th, the Valens valentine's day massacre if you recall Mm. so george really kind of stayed out of it and in essence jack beckton the agent was kind of the the bad guy you know he was the one who was kind of stirring it a little bit but ultimately they came together on a on a deal that made both sides happy last year i don't remember anything not from fred warner not from his representation. I don't remember there being any talk whatsoever about where things were heading. Fred Warner, in a lot of ways, kind of followed the template that George Kittle laid out there, which was go to every team activity, kind of re, you know remain a good teammate. I remember George Kittle specifically saying that he considered himself a leader of the team. So he, it was kind of his obligation his duty to follow through and be a good teammate. Now, both of those guys did all the off-season program, OTAs, everything else, but there was always that kind of looming uh, factor of once training camp begins and the pads go on, those guys aren't going to be there or they're not going to be suiting up for practices if there's any chance that they would get hurt and not realize that full contract potential. Well, now you you have a different tact that's being used by Debo Samuel. What Kittle and Warner did was very successful, but Debo Samuel isn't doing what those guys did. He expressed some level of acrimony, some level of discontent uh, with how the 49ers are handling it. And we don't, I mean, 
if if we use Kittle and Warner as the example, I mean, this time of the offseason, those sides were not even close to reaching a contract extension. And then you have Debo Samuel now, who's who's expressed some form of, of dissatisfaction. We don't know exactly what it's about. I, I don't know that there have been any contract proposals exchanging sides. My guess would be that they're just talking um, just kind of uh, principles or just kind of uh, structure or whatever, or just kind of what are you looking for this from this contract? And maybe that kind of slow moving process is what's annoying Debo Samuel. But uh, the 40 hours offseason program begins on uh Ninth, the 19th, which is Tuesday. And, you know, Adam Schefter obviously has been told by the agencies that that represents all those wide receivers who are up for new deals. And I forget who they are. I think Terry McLaurin is one. AJ um, Brown. AJ Brown. And of course, Debo Samuel. Yeah. So he, he's been alerted that those guys are not showing up for their offseason programs. And I, I mean, I, I get it. I understand it. But it's a different philosophy that Debo Samuel Samuel and his representation is using to what they hope will be that same ending point of getting a contract that meets, you know, his satisfaction. So, you know, is it is this a is this such an acrimonious thing that the sides won't be able to move on? No, I mean, money talks. And if Debo Samuel ends up signing a contract, uh, he's it's going to be something I'm sure that he's happy with. And there will be a renewed energy of 49ers pictures on his Instagram account. And, and it'll be just kind of a blip on the radar and nobody will really remember it. Now, I mean, you did mention uh, DeForest Buckner and that deal, that trade was done on the first day of the new league year. Right. And that led directly to, you know, them get picking up the, I think it was the 13th overall pick and they might may have moved back one spot and, and ended up getting, you know, Brandon Ayuk out of that as well. And Javon Kenlaw and freeing up some money to, that they used to resign Armstead. And you mentioned Jimmy Ward. So I would think, you know, m- most trades, you know, I don't think a trade for Debo Samuel is going to happen after the draft. I don't think a trade for Demo Samuel is going to happen. I think if something were to happen, it would have happened a while back. And you know, the the Dolph. I mean, who's gonna who's gonna pay a huge price right now for Debo Samuel? When I think some teams at this point would be looking at a strong wide receiver draft. And yes, there aren't very many Debo Samuels out there. In fact, there's only one. I just don't know that any team would be willing to say, hey, here's here's a first round draft pick this year and another one next year. And we're the ones who get to pay Debo Samuel $25 million a year. I, I don't think that's going to happen. So it's just a matter of, to me, it seems like Debo Samuel, his best fit is with the 49ers. The 49ers best man to help take that offense to another level is Debo Samuel. And I, I'm, I'm with you. I, I think the sides will ultimately get together on a contract that kind of fits in that range of where we're seeing the contracts for these wide receivers land. What's funny is that Nick Bose is in the exact same situation, more or less, except he's a first round pick and the 49ers might have a little bit more 
I don't know if leverage is a word, but they have his fifth year option. But I think you and I both expect that deal to also get done. And if you look at Joey Bosa's contract, you know, $27 million a year, 27 million a year, over a hundred million in guarantees. I would think the 49ers want to get Nick Bosa's deal done before Debo Samuels. Does that? Not necessarily. So what, what, what I picked up on at the, the NFL annual meetings was that at that point, the 49ers seemed a lot more optimistic about getting a deal done with Debo Samuel. And they just felt like the way the wide receiver market was shaping up, the window of what the deal could be was pretty narrow. You know, they, they weren't, you know, to offer him $20 million is almost an insult. And then, you're, you know, I don't think you're going to exceed what Tyreek Hill got and Devontae Adams. Um, certainly Debo Samuel's agency would, would expect that. But I mean, you're talking about some wide receivers who have signed lucrative contracts who have done it like five years in a row, Yeah, you know, and, and, and I fully understand why Debo Samuel wants to be put in that, that class is because those guys don't do what he does, but, and, and he, he needs to cash in because of the way he plays the game. He's going to want some security. So with with Nick Bosa, I mean Nick Bosa, his next contract, you know, he's on pace to to be the highest paid player on the team, and probably would remain the highest paid player on the team for several years until Trey Lance proves that he's worth that kind of contract. And certainly, the 49ers hope that he does do that. Um, where where the Bosa contract is is interesting is that the Bosas are business people. You know they, mm-hmm. you, you know you saw it with with Joey when he went to the Chargers. Um, you know his next contract. They're business people, but in the the way the CBA is now, if you're under contract, which Bosa is for another season, and then the Fortinaires also have that fifth year option, which would compensate him at a high level, but not not anything close to what he's going to make with his next contract. If he remains healthy and continues to, to play the, the way the CBA is set up is that, you know, you're, you now have these hold ins rather than hold outs because it doesn't make sense um, financially for a player to hold out because of the fines. And it used to be teams could just brush it aside. Like, Oh, he ended up signing that contract. Uh, a new contract, even though he had a contract previously, uh, all that fine money, uh, don't worry about it. Now, uh, the way the CBA is set up is is it's different. And so you don't want to, you know, you don't want to annoy, uh, you don't want to upset your players. But the 49ers have more leverage, I think, with, D- with uh, Nick Bosa to kind of hold off on something than they do with Debo Samuel because under nobody's idea of what's fair would be Debo Samuel putting himself in danger this season on a contract that is scheduled to pay him $4 million when any reasonable person can tell you that he should be making four. uh, Well, no, I'd say five or maybe even six times that amount. Yeah. So Kyle Shanahan was reluctant to do this, and I I get it. It's his prerogative not to look too far into the future. But 
Um, since we're on a podcast, we, we absolutely have that ability. I want to ask you about the start of training camp and presuming Jimmy Garoppolo is healthy. Um, he's healthy enough to throw. He's healthy enough to participate in training camp. What is it going to look like? Because, so I I think because Trey Lance is going to get all the reps from the off season program and he's, you know, working out in LA right now, and, um, he will be more up to speed than Jimmy Garoppolo will at that point. So my assumption is a few months out of the start of training camp is that Trey Lance will be the starting quarterback when full 11 on 11s happen in that first week of August or, or whenever, whenever those start. And then Jimmy Garoppolo will be, you know, maybe the backup or whatever. But is Kyle Shanahan open to the idea of it actually being a competition or has he put all his eggs in the Trey Lance basket and you know, his, his goal throughout training camp is just going to be keep Jimmy Garoppolo healthy, maybe hope the, the the quarterback market develops in a way for him that they could trade him maybe around final cuts. I'm sure, you know, he has an idea or I'm sure he knows what he's going to do, but I also think that there's an element of this that is, is kind of a wait and see, you know, if, if those nine OTA practices in the mandatory mini camp, if Trey Lance looks alarmingly bad, that changes everything. If Trey Lance looks how they expect him to look, that puts them down a whole different road. And I mean, I would, I would say, and the foreigners really downplay this part, but I just don't think it can be downplayed. I just don't see a scenario that makes sense for them to place in jeopardy having to pay Jimmy Garoppolo $25 million. And it has nothing to do necessarily with this season. And I think that, you know, the 49ers can, can get by, they could, they could keep Jimmy Garoppolo on their team this season and still do what they need to do with, with Debo Samuel and with Nick Bosa and with their draft picks and, and everything else. I just think that when you look to the future and salary, unused salary cap space rolls over, why would you invest $25 million in Jimmy Garoppolo as your backup if Trey Lance, you know, takes the, this position and, and runs with it like the Fortnite's expect him to, why would you do that? It just it, to me, it just doesn't make any sense when you've already sent the signal that you're fine with you want Nate, Nate Sudfeld to be your your backup quarterback. So I I just don't get it. And I know there was some speculation, you know, that hey, the Fortnite's could trade Jimmy Garoppolo to the Panthers for Sam Darnold. And I think, well, that defeats that purpose too. Why would you want to pay <laughs> Sam Darnold $18 million? You know, why would you only realize a $7 million salary cap with this exchange of quarterbacks when you don't need either one of them? So I, I do think though, that it's a work in progress as far as what the, the plan of the organization is, because I think the plan can change depending on kind of the feel they get. Now, Kyle Shanahan did say something important. And that was that I think the question was asked, is he, is Trey Lance ready to be your starter? And he said, we would not have put Jimmy Garoppolo out there on the trading block if he weren't. So to me, that tells you all you need to know that if they believe Trey Lance is the starter, then 
he's the starter. He, they, he's the guy they traded up to for number three overall. They didn't say, oh, he's capable of being the starter unless Jimmy Garoppolo's on the team. You know, the, he, he's ready to be the starter. So if he's ready to be the starter, then he should be the starter. And I, I just don't see any logic in keeping Jimmy Garoppolo around at $25 million. Now I do see logic in going to him and saying, Hey, look, we want, we want to keep you, you know, you're a good teammate last year, but there's no way we can pay you 25 million. You know, how about, how about 7 million or whatever that number is, 8 million, 10 million, whatever the case is, if they want to keep him, they can do that. But um, I, I think the, the draft could be key when we see what Carolina does at number six, maybe to a lesser degree, what Seattle does at number nine. But that's, to me, that's the hope. You know, Carolina is the team that, you know, could be in play for Baker Mayfield. They could be in play for Garoppolo. And it's a situation I don't expect to be solved anytime soon because the 49ers basically have to hold on to Garoppolo until he can pass a physical. So let's move on to the draft. And I agree with everything you said. Um, oh, wow. That was, that was well articulated. That makes for a very boring podcasting. Well, you okay. Need, so you need I, more hot takes, Chris. Okay. I, I will say that there is an element as like progressive as Kyle Shanahan is sort of as an Nexus's nose guy and um, just the way he approaches the game relative to how the game was approached by coaches 20 years ago. There's still an element to Kyle Shanahan that's kind of old school, right? And I think he gets that from his dad. And, you know, from my perspective in covering the team, I feel like he that there's a chance that he looks at, you know, the, the quarterback situation and says, hey, you know, Trey Lance could be better from having to compete with Jimmy Garoppolo for the job. Mm-hmm. Whereas I, I would argue, given how little football Trey Lance has played, over the last couple of years, given the pandemic and all that, that he just needs as many reps as possible. And that that's the best way to expedite his development, not have him, you know, sit on the sideline while Jimmy Garoppolo is taking half of his reps. Yeah. I, I don't think there'll be a competition or let's put it this way. I do think there was a competition last year in training camp, but it wasn't a competition that could be labeled as a competition. Does that make any sense? I'll explain. I, I mean, yeah, you were out of you were it. out he of practices. He didn't want to. He didn't want it to get to that point, right? And I don't. I just don't think that there will. There should never really be a competition, per se, a quarterback. Because if there is a competition, your team's in a world of hurt. I, I've. I, I'm sorry. I've never been around a, a competition. You know, heck, the. Uh, well, the, like Joe, like going way, way back, uh, Joe and Steve, there was never a competition. It was just Joe a Montana contract. and Steve Young, you mean? Yeah, those would be the two. This okay. is the uh, Candlestick sure. Chronicles, right? Right. Yeah, no, yeah. just making it, you know. Yeah, there was never a the, competition, but there was a controversy. And the, Jimmy Garoppolo does not need half of the first team reps with Trey Lance getting the other half of the first team reps for Kyle Shanahan and Brian Greasy and Bobby Slowick and whoever else would be in, in the decision-making pro- process. They don't need to see Garoppolo perform half the reps to determine who the better quarterback is. They know everything that Jimmy Garoppolo brings to the table, good and bad. 
What they need is just to see more of Trey Lance to evaluate if he indeed is ready. And if he's ready, they will know he's better than Jimmy Garoppolo. The, the quarterback that we uh, – Jimmy Garoppolo really hasn't changed since the middle of the 2017 season. The, the quarterback we saw, Jimmy Garoppolo – the, 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 yeah, the quarterback we saw in Jimmy Garoppolo from his first start in Chicago with five games left in the season, basically the same quarterback we saw last year when he was healthy. I mean, it really hasn't, there hasn't been much difference at all. I thought he was a little bit more of a oh. gunslinger and didn't hesitate well, before okay. the knee injury. Yeah. Okay. Well, a little bit, you're saying a little bit. So he hasn't yeah. changed. I almost think there was a part of him when he took over was that, geez, I don't even know the offense. You know, I have this silly wristband on my, my left arm, but I really don't know the offense. So, you know, here goes nothing. And he played, he played pretty well. Yeah. I mean, he played better in 2019, certainly over the full season. And, and when he got, you know, after that initial, just kind of horrible start, he played pretty well up until the injury against the, the Titans there whatever that week was at week 16 or whatever that was, mm-hmm. but they know everything they, they need to know about him. And part of what they know about him or what they know about him led them, prompted them to trade up to number three and give up, you know, the first round pick this year and the first round pick next year as part of that. So if Trey Lance is ready, he's, he's the guy. And I just don't think that there's should be any debate to that. But what I was going to say about training camp, was it, you know, you and I would, we'd watch training camp practice and go, wow, Trey Lance's physical tools are super impressive. And while there was never a competition, if, if Trey Lance, um, you know, who knows if he didn't get injured in that game against the Raiders, um, you know, could there, could that have led to something if Trey Lance continued to play well? Well, you remember well? after that Cardinals game, Kyle Shanahan said it in one of his press conferences, he was, you know, like disappointed that Trey Lance had the knee injury because he kind of wanted to see how he would build off of that. Mm-hmm. And he never yeah. really elaborated on that, but it was like, it, it, it kind of, you know, revisionist history is like, would he have, would he have kept Trey Lance in just to see? I, I, I you know, don't like- know that he would have, but he might have because Jimmy might not have been ready. What was the next game? Was the next game against the Seahawks? Forget who it oh, was. I, I think it might have been. But the, but it, there, this isn't, well, maybe it is revisionist history, but what Kyle Shanahan said two days after the season was over was that he was really close to they making the that. Buy, the buy and then the Colts game. Okay, the Colts. Um, the Colts game. The monsoon. Are you sure that was after the Cardinals game? Yep. Uh, okay. Yeah, well, they get go. they they had the Seahawks game, uh, which Jimmy got hurt in. Okay, yeah, that's what. And then Arizona, then the bye, and then the Indianapolis. Yeah. Game. So basically, after that Colts game, and when it looked like this season was going down the drain. After the Colts game, if if Jimmy Garoppolo had slipped up and not played well and opened the door for Trey Lance, Trey Lance was going to take over. Yeah. 
very interesting. And then do they do they make the playoff run? Probably. Eh. It's tough. Uh, geez, I mean, probably. Well, no, because that would have meant that they would have had one more loss. Yeah. You know, yeah. So. I'm a, I'm of the mind that though, if, I mean, this, this doesn't really matter what my opinion is at this point, but if, if Trey Lance had just been given all of the reps and Jimmy Garoppolo wasn't around, I think they still would have been a really tough team to beat because Trey yeah. would have gotten all the reps and gotten better evolved. Yeah. And I, I mean, I think you could say, I mean, we didn't see, you know, they, they shut us out of practice once training camp is over, but I mean, I think you saw week 17. I mean, that was a rough first half of that game, but it was a completely different game. And that remember though, the Texans had, they, they were playing decent foot. They weren't a good team last year, obviously, but they were kind of plucky and they played hard. And I know they've made, I know they played some good games. I think they'd beaten the Colts or they, they had won some games down the stretch there. And so for, with all the pressure of the season hanging on him, I thought uh, Trey Lance played pretty well in the second half of that game and, you know, helped them get to that spot where then they could, you know, they could win a couple of games and, or win one more game, I guess it was, and go to the playoffs. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Yeah, so let's let's talk about the draft a little bit. And um, one thing that uh, my co-host Kyle Madsen ha- has said a couple of different times: Where is Kyle? Kyle is on assignment. Oh, um, that's he's, very good. Uh, he's going to a NBA playoff game this evening. Oh wow! Okay. Um, and I, I owe him one since uh, I was working last week and he filled in for me. So anyway, um, but one thing, one point that he's made about the 49ers and, and sort of their draft philosophy is that, you know, they might have better, a better track record on day two and day three of the draft because it's less about pigeonholing positions and more just about finding guys who might have flown under the radar for whatever position, for whatever reason, you know, George Kittle not being super productive at Iowa, but having all the traits, Fred Warner playing sort of like a nickel 
hybrid position at BYU that, but that sort of hid what he could be as an inside linebacker in the NFL. And, and they've done really well for the most part with, with those day two and day three selections, mm-hmm. but round one, or at least early in the draft. And obviously they don't have a first round pick this year, but early in drafts, they kind of, they kind of draft for need, right? Which goes, you know, there's always constant discussion between best player available, draft for need, whatever. But, you know, you look at Javon Kinlaw, you look at Brandon Ayuk, you look at Mike, Mike McGlinchey to a certain extent when they decided they weren't going to bring back Trent Brown. They've gone for positional need. And I wonder if that pick at 61 in, in round two, or if they decide to, you know, package some of their future third round picks and they have a whole ton of third round picks over these next couple of years to maybe move up in round two and get somebody they like. Do you see them going for a position of need, which could be, I mentioned it last week, maybe a center um, that could replace Alex Mack if and when Alex Mack retires, um, you know, so a, a cornerback, maybe somebody who can play in the nickel or, uh, you know, a defensive back who could play safety or in the slot something like that? Or do you think they just go BPA this time and say, we're just going to take the best guy who fits our system sort of regardless of position or, you know, are they going to focus on somebody that does feel maybe more of an immediate need? Yeah. I mean, it's, you asked that question, Kyle Shanahan at the owners meetings talked about, he wishes, and I think he said this before, he wishes it was flipped. He wishes the Mm -hmm. draft came before free agency veteran free agency because he felt like the draft should be all about just taking the best player regardless of where you have draft needs. And I I do think that, you know, teams that draft for need, you know, I've seen it before teams that draft for need. um, I mean, from a, from what a team thinks is their strengths and weaknesses at the beginning of training camp, two weeks in, you could have a whole new set of needs. Like right. I mean, I, I've yeah. seen you know teams with like oh we got four you know great running backs and then next thing you know three of them are injured and boy are they thin at running back or at linebacker or cornerback safety you name the position. I mean, the 49ers, like right now, I mean, they have stocked up on defensive linemen. They have 11 NFL caliber defensive linemen. They have 11 guys right now on the team who will be on NFL rosters somewhere. Maybe not all with the 49ers, but they have that many defensive linemen. So um, that's an interesting point that that Kyle brings up about drafting for need over best player available. And I do think that, yeah, I mean, it was pretty clear that, you know, Javon Kinlaw, if he hadn't been there, who would they have taken? I don't know, but it sure Tristan seemed. Worth, Tristan Worth would have been a great. Yeah. I mean, that would have been, um, that wouldn't have been necessarily for need, right? Because they already had. Well, Trent so they Williams. had McGlinchey and Trent Williams, but they could have played Tristan Wirfs at guard. Yeah. Right. Or, or maybe, you know. Yeah. Replace... Don't know if you want to take a guard that high, but. Perhaps, or maybe he um, yeah. he slides in and makes McGlinchey expendable. Anyway, yeah. Go ahead. So anyway, um, what, what do you do at sixty-one? I, I my guess is you have two, three positions that you're going to want to hit, and you take not necessarily the best safety who could step in and start, 
not necessarily the best interior offensive lineman who could step in and start. Um, I would, I would put edge in there too. Um, and that's all caps E D G E. <laughs> I'm so glad you did that. You're familiar with the brand. I love it. <laughs> yes. Um, and so I think what you would do is unless there's somebody else that is just so much clearly better than those other positions, guys at the other positions, I think you take the best player among three or four positions where you think that guy can make an immediate impact. What if there's a receiver that Kyle Shanahan absolutely loves and is available at 61? It's at, it, he absolutely loves. That is a, a very good question. I remember, was it, what, what year, what, uh, Rondale Moore from Purdue, I think, was he a third round draft pick last year? Does that sound right? It does. I can look. Yeah. Uh, look that up quickly. Yeah. Um, you don't want to keep me waiting too long, Chris. You already got Rondale it. Moore was a well, second me... round pick, 49th oh, overall last okay. year. Okay. So last year, I remember after the fact um, that I was talking to, I think, John Lynch, and he said that they really liked Rondale Moore, but they weren't going to take a wide receiver at that spot. They wanted a, another position or where he would have been available. Um, they weren't interested in a wide receiver at that point. Now, I, I think, you know, you have, you have Brandon Ayuk under contract for two more seasons. Wait, real, real quick. Yeah. Aaron Banks was taken 48th. Rondell Moore was 49th. Right. Uh, exactly. So, so in, in the rumor, they even moved back to take, Right. Banks. So yes, that, that could have been a, a position where they would have gotten Rondell Moore, but they weren't interested in taking a wide receiver at that point. And especially a guy who's more of a slot receiver, right. And, but he also is a good return man in everything else. So the question would be, do you want, you know, how do they feel about Debo Samuel? Is he going to be a long-term part of this team? If he is, I don't think you need to take a wide receiver there because I, I really, I think their four receivers right now are, are pretty darn decent with Debo Samuel being a heck of a lot better than decent. I think Brandon Ayuk showed late in the season that now he gets it and he's going to be a quality receiver. So you have two very good starters. I think Jawan Jennings is a keeper and I never would have said that a year ago, but that guy, he's a gamer. He's, he's better already than Kendrick Bourne. And Kendrick Bourne was a pretty good. Oh, wow. That's that's kind of a hot take. It is kind of a hot take, huh? Wow, bringing the heat. Should I backpedal on that one? No, I'm I'm not. I I love the hot take. Well, I think think that um, Juwan Jennings just seems to be, I don't know, maybe more consistent, uh, maybe more versatile. Now, well, Kendrick Bourne was in the slot a lot, but um, he's very similar, right? I mean, the third down receptions, the touchdowns, um, I don't notice the the quarterback directing Juwan Jennings as much, you know, which <laughs> okay. side of the formation line up on. <laughs> sure. And this is a guy that, you know, made his NFL debut last season. You know, he yeah. spent that first year on the practice squad and injured. So those are three good guys. Ray Ray McLeod, we'll, we'll see, but he's a slot guy. I, I think that there will be an opportunity for them to get a, a wide receiver in the whatever, fourth, fifth round who could step in and, and help them. So I do think that, I mean, the, the two positions I think I would focus in on at 61. Well, okay. They have three, three 
uh, draft pick 61. I believe it's, what is it? 103 and 105, something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I would think two of those three without question have to be interior offensive line and safety. Okay. Yeah. So my point about receiver, and we mentioned this last week on the pod is, is more, more about maybe the future of Brandon Ayuk because assuming Debo Samuel does sign and, you know, we think Brandon Ayuk's going to progress. Are the 49ers going to pay two receivers, non-rookie contracts, right? Probably like, are, not. Yeah. Probably so not. are you going to wrap up 40, 45 million a year in two guys? So yeah. do you get ahead of that by maybe drafting somebody now? Yeah. I, you'd almost, if, if, I mean, I would think we'll see how the salary cap goes up, but you know, how much longer you, you look at it. So that would be three years down the road, right? So in three years, will Trent Williams still be on the team? In three years, you know, what does George Kittle's yeah. contract look like? In three years, what does Fred Warner's contract look like? Um, so a, a lot of that. And then also in three years, is it time to reward Trey Lance or move on from Trey Lance or, you know, like what, what, what's the team going to look like in three years? You might be looking at paying Trey Lance $50 million a year. if he's- you, you might. Absolutely. <laughs> I mean, the, the 49ers certainly hope that's the case. Yeah. Yeah. So um, you, you had tweeted me after, after I mentioned Cam Jurgens and you said a, a 40, a former 49ers offensive lineman um, is very high on him. And you're not going to get it out of me, Chris. You're not going to get it out of me that uh, Joe Staley is high on Cam Jurgens. <laughs> okay. You're not, I'm, I'm going to protect my sources on this one. Okay. Well, since you're not, since you're not touching um, the, the Joe Staley aspect of this at all, what, what have you heard about Cam Jurgens from whatever sources uh, has been in your ear on this? Well, Joe Staley is working with, with Cam Jurgens. I know okay. he's, he's, um, and he's working with four draft eligible guys. Uh, the two guys from Central Washington, Central Washington. Central Why would Michigan? I be talking about Central Washington? Uh, in Ellensburg, Washington. No, it's actually Central <laughs> Michigan, Chris, not okay. Central Washington. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so he's, he's working with the two Central Michigan guys, of course, where Joe Staley is. Uh, you know, part of the uh, is it the Chippewas Hall of Fame? Probably. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Um, and so he does think that, uh, Jurgens would be a guy who would fit the system very well. And, you know, whether he's pressed into service year one or not, um, could be a guy that at least in 2023 could take over and be a long-term starter at center. So, um, that would be a guy that, you know, perhaps keep an eye on and and Joe Staley has been working with the 49ers a little bit as well just kind of doing some draft stuff and he was at the the pro day the local pro day last week I saw him down there and I I think he maybe was there for a day or two um, inside the building but uh, certainly not a guy to keep an eye on but you know there are other there are other centers I think that kind of fit into where the 49ers could be looking to add somebody whether that's at 61 or you know, right there around the hundreds. Okay. So I'll get you out of here on this. And you've been more than generous with your time. We probably more than generous, more than your being generous with, uh, with dog sitting. Uh, I, I wasn't going to say it, but sure. I mean, hey, by the way, I have a yeah. question. So the story goes that we went on, our family went on a little trip and uh, Chris volunteered to look after my dog. Yes a little cockapoo. Um, You said there were some, not the most well-behaved dog in the world. Um, Um, 
you yeah. mentioned some mishaps. Do we want to talk about the mishaps? Uh, so, I mean, not really. Oh, I okay. mean, you know, it, it, uh, let's say this mishaps that required cleanup. Okay. Yeah. Bodily function <laughs> cleanup. Yeah. Okay. Um, but no, she was, she was fine. Um, okay. it was nice having her around, but, um, I want to get you out of here on this because Frank Gore is going to retire. He's going to at some point sign a one day contract and presumably hold a press conference with the 49ers. Um, I had spoken a little bit about my experience covering Frank Gore and I only covered Frank for the last, uh, let's see, I guess it would have been three years. He was with the 49ers, but you, you covered him a lot longer than I did. He was always great with the media in my experience. He, he actually, you know, there are some one-on-one conversations I had with him um, where he basically just gave me a bunch of really great information that I would have gotten elsewhere to help write some stories. Mm-hmm. Um, overall, just a very high quality human being. Um, so I'm wondering if you have any anecdotes about Frank Gore that maybe the fans haven't heard yet or, or just your overall like, Frank Gore experience, given that you covered him for so long. Well, Frank, as you kind of pointed out there, Frank was, I mean, Frank is all about ball. You know, Frank loves football, loves football. And he would, I remember in those early days, I'd be walking through the locker room and he'd call me over and ask me, you know, either a, how he's playing, you know, what, what, what advice I would have for him. Uh, he would, he would ask about Ladanian Tomlinson a lot you know, Hey, you know, are you watching Ladanian and blitz pickup and all this stuff? And I mean, he was just so into it. And I do know that. So the first team that, that had him, the first group was, is Mike Nolan and Scott McLuhan. They drafted him. And I know he would go up into Mike Nolan's office. This is, you know, Frank would would be a rookie or a second year guy. And he would kind of, you know, go, they would go through the roster. Like, what do you think of this guy? What do you think of that guy? And Scott McLuhan had a very tight relationship with him. And I mean, Scott McLuhan tells this story of the night before the draft that um, Frank Gore called him and he was all kind of nervous and, and like, Hey man, you know, are you going to draft me in the first round? And, and Scott McLuhan would say, Frank, we can't draft you in the first round. You know, you, you don't pass the the medical stuff that, you know, where I can sign off on that. And Frank would say, well, this team told me they're going to draft me in in the first round. And he's like, Frank, if they do, congratulations. But I'll, I'll tell you one thing, if you're there at the top of the third round, you know, we will draft you. And Frank was like, oh, that might be too late. And then when it came around, the 49ers drafted him and Frank, you know, told Scott, you know, you're the only guy who didn't lie to me during this process. And those two have been very tight, but yeah, Frank just kind of has a, I mean, he, he knows the game of football and probably one of my favorite stories about Frank was it was during the lockout of 2011 and Alex Smith had, you know, for the one day, the lockout, I think there was a court injunction, the lockout lifted for one day. Alex Smith was going to resign with the team at that point. He had already made his decision, um, but he hadn't signed officially. He went into the offices with the 49ers gathered up all this new material from Jim Harbaugh and and Greg Roman and took it with him back to San Jose state. And so he was showing the guys cutups playbooks, and they were basically what, what we called camp Alex. They ran that, that camp. And that basically kind of lifted the team to, 
start the season strong and, and have that really good season of 2011. But at one point I said to Alex, you know, I looked around and everybody, and not everybody, but almost the entire offense was there except for kind of the focal point of the offense. That's Frank Gore. And I said to Alex, I go, are you a little bit concerned that, you know, the guy that this offense is kind of centered around isn't here to, to learn it with you guys? Because Frank loved to work out in Miami and always showed up in great shape. He did his own routine and Alex looked at me like I was nuts. And he goes, are you kidding me? He goes, Frank Gore worried about Frank Gore. Not a chance. He goes, Frank is a football savant. All he has to do is see it once hear it once and it's locked in and he never makes a mistake. And right then I thought, Oh my gosh, I had no idea that he was just that on point with the game of football. So, and I, I, I know I said I'd get you out on, on that last question, but since you are a Hall of Fame voter and you, I presume that you, you would be the one making the case or presenting Frank Gore as, as a candidate, um, I'm curious, like, do you make the case? Do, do you just are you completely objective when you're in that room making the case and just saying this is the guy's body of work and you don't say, hey, this is why I think he should be in or this is why I don't think he should be in? Like, what, what's that process like? No, I mean, I would definitely, you know, I would, I would, I'm sure I'd tell that story. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I think the thing that probably I, I mean, I kind of already know and it's what four years down the road. Um, you know, I, I know I already know what the arguments are going to be against him being yeah. you know, first ballot. The argument is that he was never the, the best running back in the game for any particular year he played. Mm-hmm. And some might say he was never in the top three, you know, wh- whatever the case may be. Um, my argument will be that may be true, but over the course of the entire history of the NFL, there are only two people who have more rushing yards than him, <laughs> right. which I think is a pretty strong argument. And to your point earlier, he was a focal point of some offenses that were pretty damn good and reliant and, and, on And him. also the only player on some offenses that were really, really bad too. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I think I, I'm, you know, I'll also highlight, you know, when they needed him early in his career to catch passes, he did it very well. You know, he, he might've led the team in, in receiving, you know, their receptions, some of those years, I mean, he was up there and then it, it fell off. Um, I think, you know, basically when, when Harbaugh and J- Greg Roman came in, they, they used him more as a, as a runner and not necessarily as a pass catcher. But I also think that a, a highly underrated part of this is blitz pickup. You know, he was, he was so good in that area of the game. So it was, he has the, to me, he has the measurables of the stats and you look at it, you know, even some of the guys in the top five, top 10 in NFL career rushing yards, their average per carry isn't as high as Frank Gore's. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, is he a first ballot hall of famer? I think so. Um, But I, I know that there will be a little bit of pushback on that. Um, I do think that people often get kind of hung up on that whole first ballot thing sure. where I, I try not to, um, if you get in, you get in and they don't have a separate wing for first ballot guys and a, another wing for guys who it took five years. So it doesn't really matter, but, um, yeah, that, that's kind of, I think that answered your question. I mean, yeah. 
I think he should be in. I, 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 I would, I would say there's a 100% chance that Frank Gore gets in the hall of fame. Oh, I really, I first. think that, but, uh, but I don't know about the first ballot. Okay. All right. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I just I, don't see, I just don't see any rationale that anyone can use for saying that Frank Gore does not deserve to be in the hall of fame. Yeah. I just, I just don't see it. Yeah. I agree. I agree. Yeah. My favorite, some of my favorite training camp memories were just the blitz pickup drills between I, him and Patrick Willis and Navarro Bowman. That yeah, was, there, there was, was one, great. there was one, the 49ers had a training camp um, so with joint, the Raiders, right? Uh, yes. Against yeah. the Raiders. And I don't even remember who the linebacker was, but I think he was kind of a young guy. It wasn't a big name guy, but like Frank jumped in there and blitz pickup and Tom Rathman was like, it was basically for the young guys. And if Frank wanted to jump in there and blitz pickup, he went after this guy, threw him to the ground and then just kept on top of him and had, I mean, he was so fired up to, to perform this blitz pickup drill against an opponent. And then, you know, Tom pulled him out of the drill and I think Frank snuck back in to do it again. He loved that part of it so much. Yeah, and that's, you know, that was one of those many times where I looked out there and went, this guy's wired a little bit differently than most. Yeah, definitely. All right. Well, speaking of wired a little bit differently, Matt Mayoko. Yeah, that's, is- that wasn't a compliment though, was it? <laughs> no, it, no, I, I think it is. You're, you're built different, right? Like you, I think you text... You texted me at like two in the morning last night. I did. I did text you. Sometimes, you like sometimes, I'll wake up and scroll through Twitter. It's like, why is Matt tweeting at like three? Like, yeah, you, you well, really you know what happens? I go to bed so early, uh-huh. and then I wake up in the middle of the night, and so all the texts I get from like you know nine until midnight, I just return at three a.m. Mm, okay. Yeah, you definitely are built different. All right, that's uh, that's Matt Mayoko. Thanks again for for coming on and finally responding to my texts, even though it did come. In the middle of the night, but uh, that's forgiven. And um, yeah, hopefully we'll uh, we'll talk to you soon, and I'll see you down in Santa Clara. Gosh, I think next week for pre-draft media availability. All right, Chris, always my pleasure. Thank you for asking me to be on the podcast, and also thank you for taking care of my dog when I was away. Yes, no problem. Many times. All right, uh, and send me the cleaning bill. Uh, yeah. yeah, sure, I'll I'll do that. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Matt. And we uh, will talk to you guys soon. We'll have another episode later in the week. Save big money on everything for your next project at Menards. Spring is here making it the perfect time for outdoor projects. Suncast storage sheds are an excellent solution for protecting outdoor lawn and gardening tools. They're easy to assemble, and the all-weather construction provides water resistance and UV protection. Save big on Suncast storage sheds. View our selection of Suncast products today in-store and on Menards.com. Save big money.